Welcome. We are here for another edition of Lit Chat. I am Bonnie. And I'm PJ. And we're going to discuss our individual reads this month. I will start. Of course, I read quite a bit. Um, some of them were books that were mentioned in uh, one of our group sessions or that other people had mentioned to me or that were on a reading list that didn't get picked as a group read. So I'll start with one of those. And it was um, it's called The Reading List by Sarah Nisha Adams. And uh, she writes a story. It does take place in London or right outside of London. And you have this lady, Nana, who dies of cancer. And a little bit of spoiler alert, she leaves behind a reading list, but nobody in the book knows that she was the one that left this list behind. She was a volunteer at the local library, and she was also volunteering in all kinds of other stuff. So she saw people and she kind of recognized when people were having issues and she made up this reading list and she basically put at the top of it, just in case you need it. It was like six or seven books. I can remember some of them. To Kill a Mockingbird, Life of Pi, or a couple, uh, The Kite Runner. So her husband, Mukesh, is one of our main characters. And he was having a really tough time after his wife died. It's now been two years since she's died. And he just can't seem to get his life together. And he has three daughters that text him constantly, reminding him to do stuff. Just basically running his life for him. Like every morning, he'll get a text from the oldest saying, Hey, Dad, don't forget to put out the garbage. And the second one will text saying, Rohini called and told me to remind you to put out the garbage. And then the third one will come along and say, hey, dad, um, I know you've already heard from the other two, but don't forget to put out the garbage. And to me, that was just, ah, leave the man alone. You know, <laughs> I mean, let him grieve a little. They decide to come over one day and do some cleaning, try to clean up a little more of their mother's stuff. And uh, they find this library book. It's not one of the books on the list, but it was called The Time Traveler's Wife. And so he decides, well, I guess I have to get out of my comfort zone and I have to take this book back to the library. So he goes to the library where he meets Alicia. Now, Alicia is working a summer job at the library. She doesn't like it. She doesn't want to be there. She really wanted a job at the more exclusive department store where everybody else was getting a job. But her brother had worked at the library when he was younger. And he says, eh, go for it. You know, it's a relatively simple job. And um, so when Mukesh works, first walks into the library, he is having issues because he's never been in the library before. And he has nowhere to go or doesn't know where to look for things. He's even having trouble getting into the automatic door. Oh, no. That, you know, so yes, he, he's having major issues. And he walks up to the desk with this book in his bag. And Alicia is so rude to him. I mean, she is just so blatantly rude. She's got on headphones. She's got her phone in front of her. She won't even really look at him. And when he says, well, I'm trying to find a book, she goes, well, what do you want? <laughs> and, 
And of course, he has no idea what he wants. And so she just <laughs> kind of gestures and points, fiction is over that way. Oh, that's so disturbing as a librarian to hear that. I know. Oh. And I hear I, all the training that we do about good customer service. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, she would have failed. She would have just failed. But he gets so lost in the library and gets so upset that he pulls this nonfiction book off the shelf of how to drive a car or something like that. It's just ridiculously a ridiculous book for him to pull off the shelf, mm -hmm. but he just pulls it off and he goes up to the desk and he checks it out and he leaves because he's so upset and he doesn't return the book, the time travelers <laughs> in the meantime. So anyway, um, through the course of this book, you, you meet a few other people. You meet Alicia's brother, Aiden, who is having uh, issues trying to keep the family going because their father has left several years ago. He, they, the parents divorced and he has remarried and he has his own family and he doesn't really have anything to do with them. Because of this, Alicia's mother, who used to be a graphic designer, has just gone into total deep depression. And she's got this 25-year-old son and a 17-year-old daughter trying to take care of her well, they're trying to have their own lives. And it's just a really bad family situation. And then Alicia comes upon this list in the library. And she remembers how rude she was to Mikesh. And so she decides, well, I'll read the first book on this list. And after she reads it, it was To Kill a Mockingbird was the very first book. She goes, you know what? this old man might like this book. I'm going to, you know, fix it up so that he, so that he can come by and get this book. Somehow she got his name or something. She found out who he was because she sets up a library card for him without him being there. This is what I found so unusual. He set she set up this library card without him signing anything and checked out books on it and then calls him and tells him, Hey, we've got a book for you to pick up. <laughs> Like, we definitely do not do that at this library. <laughs> I just, there's so many things that I'm like, oh no, yes. no. Oh no. Um, but over the course of the book, between the two of them, they read this reading list and different things happen to them, to Alicia and Mukesh. And um, Mukesh and his family were originally from Kenya. Uh, they had moved when he and his wife were very young and um, brought their daughters to London. And um, so they are kind of in a minority group. There are these, there's this other guy who just kind of roams around the city. He's a university student and he kind of takes a shining to Alicia, but she's like, I don't have time for a love affair right now, you know, and I don't want him to find out about my family. But he kind of inserts himself into her life and just keeps kind of showing up and walking her home and all this kind of stuff. So it ends up with kind of a happy ending, but there are a lot of sad parts to get to that happy ending. Near the end of the book, Alicia and Mukesh sort of get together and they have a save the library day at the library because their libraries are in in danger of being closed down if they're not used. There's a big humongous library like way across town okay. that people just don't want to go to. 
So they're trying to get people into the library between the two of them after a lot of things have happened. They have this come to our library day and they like start giving out pamphlets and they actually get a lot of people to come and get people signed up at the library and try to make the library more of a community place to be. So did you like so, it? Yeah, it was kind of neat. It was a little slow at first, like a lot of them tend to be. Okay. It's not normally my type of book to read. I don't like mushy-gushy books that make me cry. And this one did, but it did end up with kind of a neat, happy ending. Okay, because so. I have an advanced reader copy of that book that I've been planning to read, and I just haven't gotten around to it. So I think you will like it. Nice. Um, then I found, I was just perusing the shelves at my other library that I go to, Baytown, where I live. And um, I saw this book. It's called The Woman in the Library. So I couldn't resist the title. Okay. <laughs> it's a mystery uh, by Sulari Gentile, G-E-N-T-I-L-L. -L. I guess that's how you pronounce her name. She's writing this story like she, the main character is a writer or trying to, and, and the main character in the book is a writer. Okay. And she has gotten a scholarship from, she's from Australia, and she's gotten what they call a Sinclair scholarship to write a book. Okay, wow. And the whole thing is that she's supposed to research the area and come up with an idea and write a book. That's what the whole scholarship thing is for. And there's this particular hotel where other scholarship people are staying, or this boarding house, or however you want to term it, apartment building, where all these people are staying. And she's in the library. And the way they describe it being set up is that you have these just rows and rows of tables with about four chairs to each table. And if you're doing research, you just go in and find a spot. Now, if you're lucky, I guess you get to sit by yourself. If you're not so lucky, you end up at a table with other people mm -hmm. doing their own thing at this table and everything is really quiet. And then they hear this woman scream. And so now you have these four people that were sitting at this table, her and Marigold, Witt and Kane are all sitting at this table. And so now they've kind of been thrown together as a group because now people start talking and whispering, even though that's not normal in the library. And they're like, oh my God, what do you think happened? You know, who was that? And where was it in the library? It had to be close enough for us to hear. And through the course of the book, you're wondering, is she writing this as a story that her author is writing? It's really interesting the way she like brings in the different characters and just kind of works all the different stuff into this book. It's just, it's amazing. So did you like it? Yes, I did. I likened it to the silent patient. That's what mind. I wanted to know. Like how close is it to Michelady's? Cause you know, it's we not really that close, but it does throw you some loops. Well, that's what I was saying. Does and, it throw loops towards the end? It does it have like, you guessing? But it was another one of those books that, you know, I'd never heard of the person and just the title was what grabbed me. And I was like, do I really want to keep going with this book? Oh, so it was kind of slow. 
Oh my gosh. It was like the silent patient when we talked about okay. it. Okay. That it was so slow at the beginning. Of so maybe the audiobook? Maybe. Not on CD anyway, which is what I look for. Now, there may be something online that you can download, like an e-audiobook or something. So, But I, I really liked it. So I'll let you talk about a few. I like your uh, theme clearly has been about libraries. So far. <laughs> um, so I actually read three books, but I'm going to save the third one. So the first book is The Golden Hour by Beatrice Williams. I'm going to be honest, I didn't really like it. And I'm disappointed that I didn't like it because it is historical fiction. It was another World War II book, which I am kind of getting over the World War II books. However, the reason I read this one was because it's in Nassau. And it has Wallace and Edward as two of the characters. And I thought, well, that was interesting. But yeah, I just... I didn't really like it that much, unfortunately. So this book actually has two stories. You've got the story of Leonora, who's called Lulu. And then she ends up marrying this guy um, whose last name is Randolph. You see, I can't even remember. You've got that story going on, and that's your present day. And by when I say present day, I mean like present day World War II. Um, story. And then you've got another one where it's like Wilfred and Elfrida. And that one takes place in World War One. If I remember correctly, it's not like one chapter is for Lulu and the other one's for Elfrida. I think it's like a couple of chapters are for um, Lulu and then a couple of them are for Elfrida. So it's not like so um, is that part of the reason you may have not have liked it, is the time jumping? No, I have no problem with time jumping. I thought it was unnecessarily long. I thought it was kind of boring, to tell you the truth. I guess I'm the only one, because there are some rave reviews about this book. Um, so I just, I didn't really like the female characters. I thought the female characters, they made bad choices, they weren't really like I, you know the type of yeah you know the female characters that I like I love strong women and these are kind of wimpy yeah there was some you know there's some times where you you'd see like oh wow that's that's very brave of her to do that but for the most part no I just I kept thinking when is this going to end to tell you the truth which is never what you want in a book right and then. I also just didn't really think that Wallace and Edward were the characters were as developed as they could have been. I mean, you're talking about the king that abdicated for a American socialite who was divorced. There was a lot of scandal there. And you somewhat, this book somewhat does tell you about that scandal, but I don't know. I felt like it could be more. So it wasn't necessarily the time jumping. It, it was just, I didn't really, I thought the story was unnecessarily long. I think it was just that your women characters weren't strong and, and forceful. I, I mean, if you don't have that kind of character in the book, if you don't have that going on, what's there to read about if they're just kind of muddling along in their life? I, well, also, and like I said, um, it's, 1940s, it's Nassau, 
it's not King Edward because he abdicated, but it's Edward and Wallace. And so I think I was expecting more than what I got. Okay. And we'll put that one in the discard pile. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, the it you know it involves it's a romance murder mystery also because there is this scientist named Benedict Thorpe who's very good looking and he just mysteriously ends up like disappearing and gets murdered and so there's that background of who did it, which is ultimately what I think the book is between romances and mysteries. And I just don't think it went. That just doesn't sound like she developed any of the story like it should have been developed. I just didn't care for it. But you know what? I mean, to each their own. And I would say if you are slightly interested, you should definitely give it a try. The other one um, was actually one of the books that we had discussed during Lit Chat. One of our lit chat goers actually suggested this book, and so I decided to read it. It's called Forget the Alamo. It's by Jason Stanford, Chris Tomlinson, and Ryan Burrow. And it's a nonfiction book that talks about the truth of the Alamo. I think I have alluded to this before, but I think there's a kind of a mythology when it comes to the Alamo. And... Being from outside of Texas, I can tell you there is a mythology around the Alamo. I mean, I think I've said before that until we moved here, I had no idea that the actual battle for independence took place at San Jacinto, not at the Alamo. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're kind of taught. Nobody brings up San Jacinto. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. And let me tell you, when I was working at a school, my kids were very confused by the Alamo because I had to let them know that the Alamo was not a victory for us. It was actually a loss. And they looked at me devastatingly and were like, well, why do we talk about the Alamo? Why do we talk about a loss? We were talking about the Alamo as if it was a victory when in all honesty, it wasn't a victory. So this was a very interesting book, but I do think it is one of those books that's going to be a little controversial since we are in Texas. Just controversial because the Alamo is not glorified. The Battle of the Alamo is not glorified. The people that we make into these heroes. legendary heroes, they're not really good people. At least not in that instance. <laughs> Bowie was notably a drunk who smuggled slaves, and he swindled people. Houston and Rocket were failed politicians. You mean Crockett? Sorry, <laughs> I said Rocket. Yes, Crockett um, were failed politicians. Initially, the way Texas was set up, Austin brought in people to colonize. But then after that initially happened, I think Austin was not able to control the flow of how many people are coming to Texas. And so a lot of people were just unsavory people who were trying to get away from like misdeeds that they did. Like Bowie, who was a swindler and a gambler, you know? He just comes to Texas because it's just a way to make a new life. You know, one story is about Robert Potter, who one of our counties is actually named after him. He ends up kidnapping two men who he thought were having an affair with his wife. 
and he takes them to the woods and he castrates them. Oh, we name things after these people. Yeah. Okay. That's rough justice right there. <laughs> really sad. So um, Joe is actually known as one of the survivors of the Alamo and he is the slave to Travis. And he travels to tell Travis's son, hey, your dad died. He becomes a war hero, but he is enslaved again. So had he just maybe stayed in Texas, he would have maybe been a free slave. But he felt compelled to tell Travis's family about his death. And they essentially just enslaved him again. That's just rude. That's what it gets down to. This book talks about how... It talks about the real people, it sounds like. The real people, but also the real cause of the independence for Texas. And it all goes back to slavery. And I know that that tends to be controversial here in Texas. And so I will say this. I thought it was a good read. I liked it. But there are some hard truths, especially if you're a Texan. There are some hard truths. And if you don't want to necessarily learn about those hard truths, then I would say don't pick this book out. Not because it's not good, not because it doesn't give you the facts, because it does give you the facts. And it is a good book. But, you know, it does take away the illusion and the mythology that has been created. And just really random, because I thought this was one of my the funniest facts. I did not know that um, Phil Collins, the English singer, has the world's biggest archives of Alamo-related stuff. Apparently, he is just a big fan of the Alamo, so much so that he was willing to donate his artifacts so that a museum could be built in the Alamo. So yeah, this book was interesting. It talks about the battle of the Alamo. It talks about Texas independence. But then it also talks about the aftermath and the battle between, you know, these two women, one being, I think, Clara Driscoll and the other one being the granddaughter of actually Savala, who actually fought in the Alamo and uh, just they're arguing and trying to take control of the Alamo and what should be done with the Alamo. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. It also just talks about how a lot of these like Tejanos, like Los, um, Lorenzo de Savala and Juan Seguin were just not given respect. Uh, and they're still kind of not given respect. You know, you hear a lot about these people like Travis and Crockett and these Hispanics who essentially helped a lot just kind of don't get written into the history. They're just not given their respect. They're not given their due. But yeah, I would suggest if you love history and you want to know more about Texas history, just warning, if you believe in that Alamo and the myth, then please don't read this book because you're not going to like it. All right, Bonnie, those are my two. What about you? Okay, I've got a couple more I wanted to talk about. Awesome. Um, One is a new book that's out there that's floating around written by james patterson and dolly parton i am excited run rose run i love this book 
Oh, yay! I, I listened to it. And Dolly Parton reads one of the main characters. They did this, they did the audiobook more as a play. Oh. Then as some, you know, usually you get an audiobook where one person reads it and they change their voice several yeah. different ways. They had a whole cast of oh, people awesome. reading this this book. And Dolly Parton was one of the main readers of it. I can't remember who the who read the parts for Wasn't it Casey Ballerina or Ballerini? Yes. You, you had mentioned Kelsey it. Ballerini. There we go. Read uh the part for Dolly Parton reads the part for Ruth Anna Ryder, who is, quote, in the book, not necessarily, depending on your view, the queen of country music. You know, she she came up from the bottom of nowhere and became this humongo country music star. And then you have Annie Lee Keys, and that's the part that Kelsey Ballerini plays. Okay. You get the book starting out with Annie Lee jumping off the balcony of a hotel. Oh, that is a strong start right there. You have no idea where this hotel is. You don't know how high the balcony is. You don't know why she's jumping. Mm -hmm. But it does state that she decides she wants to live. And that's where they that's where they start the book. Wow, that's awesome. That's um, a great that, start. That's like a prologue, you know. But that apparently happened eight months after. You know, that was like, and now they take you back. Then the next chapter says, you know, like eight months before. And Annie Lee starts her run to Nashville, literally a run to Nashville by stealing a tractor trailer truck. <laughs> I mean, she's, she's hitchhiking. Mm -hmm. And this guy stops and picks her up and, he makes out that he's this family dude and, you know, he won't hurt her and anything like that. She falls asleep and she wakes up to his hand on her knee, right? And one thing, and she's like, I think you need to remove your hand. And he's like, ah, you know, you know, this is what you want type thing, guy. She pulls out a gun. <laughs> she literally pulls out a gun out of her backpack and tells him to pull over. And when... He, All right, she's feisty. I like her. And uh, when he does pull over, she says, now get out. He goes, it's, so she shoots the window out in front of his face on the side. You know, she yeah. Shoots, so he gets out and she drives off with this trailer truck and heads to Nashville. Wow. So, yeah. I like her already. That's where that starts. She gets to Nashville, obviously, with no money. And she's sleeping in the park. She goes downtown where all the bars are, mm -hmm. and apparently these are like people consider them your the interview when you're audition auditioning. Okay, places, you know, and if you're good enough, somebody will hear you, and that's how you get your start in Nashville. Okay, so she finds this bar called the Cat's Paw, and she gets up there on stage, and she's been writing songs. She wrote all of her own songs. She did have to pawn her guitar in order to make her run to Nashville. So when she gets a chance to go up on the stage, she asks the guy, hey, do you happen to have a guitar I can borrow? <laughs> and he does. He pulls out this ratty old guitar from behind the, the bar, and she gets up there, and she starts singing her own songs. 
And everybody loves them so much that when she goes to do covers, they say, no, just re-sing all your stuff. So she's a big hit in this little bar. Okay. And the guy gives her enough pay for that that she can at least go buy some food and stuff. But uh, there's this other guy called Ethan Blake. He is a former captain in the Army in Afghanistan. He does suffer from PTSD. Um, he plays backup for Ruth Ann Ryder. Okay. And he makes guitars. Oh, nice. He makes guitars. Now, Ruth Ann, even though she is retired, she retired from country music. She just kind of quit singing. She's the queen out there. And all of a sudden, she just stopped. And nobody really knows why. Okay. And I'm not going to tell you that part of the story because that's part of what makes this story so good. But she actually owns the cat's paw. She still keeps singing and writing, but she has her own private studio in her basement that she records stuff and everything. So she's got her own little backup band and everything. She just doesn't go out in public. She just can't not sing. You know, that's her thing. She wants to sing and she's got enough money. So is she like a recluse? Like she doesn't go out of her house? Well, she goes out of her house a little bit, but no, she's basically a recluse. She's got this wonderful, apparently, you know, big, huge, beautiful house in right outside of Nashville. Yeah. Okay. But Ethan Blake also plays at the Cat's Pod occasionally. He'll write a few songs every so often, but he'll go down there just to play and keep, you know, in the business and all. And he hears Annie Lee. So that's when he goes back and tells Ruth Ann, hey, you got to do something to help this girl. So that's kind of where the story takes off. And Ruth Anna kind of is backing Annie Lee Keys and trying to get her into the business and helping her out with certain things. But the past is out there for Annie Lee. Okay. But the book is wonderful. The characters are so well written. And I heard an interview that somebody did with James Patterson about his writing with other authors. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, how much writing do these other authors do? You know, do they just give you an idea and you do all the writing or do they actually contribute because that had been one of the questions that I had asked you. And he said that, yes, they actually contribute. What he does is he, he like, will send them, like, an 80-page, this is what he said, 80-page outline of what he wants in the book. And he lets them fill it in with the details and the kind of, like, the behind-the-scenes that he wouldn't have any idea how the music world works, mm-hmm. but Dolly Parton does. And she knows how that works. I will say, I did hear hear an interview with Dolly Parton and James Patterson talking about this. First and foremost, let me tell you, uh, Dolly Parton has said that this will become a movie. Oh! And not only that, she has a CD coming out, or that will come out. She's writing... Supposedly they said that in the book, that there is a CD that goes with this book. There is. She has said that. But yes... There is a movie coming along. She did say that Ruth Ann is most like her, which makes sense since she's reading her part. She just said that she had a lot of say in this, that James was very willing to listen to her, that she took a lot of inspiration from her experience and what she knows. And so I believe it. And anybody who's heard Dolly Parton sing or act or just speak, in listening to this, I could just see Dolly Parton talking in this part. It was just 
my my mind every time she came on i'm like yeah that sounds like uh, everything i've heard about dolly parton it was just dolly parton i mean she is truly it was just i love this book she I is really truly did. unique and really sounds like a wonderful person so that's awesome yes, i look forward I to it forward to the movie i really am so i guess we'll end with that one on a high note and we did want to mention we do have lit chat thursday on the 11th at one o'clock it's been golf- decided the votes in our gulf coast reads book is going to be lone stars by justin diebler in fact Forget the Alamo was one of the options. It just didn't get picked. But yes, it's going to be Lone Stars by Justin Diebler, and we will be reading it together as a group. In October. In October. So if you guys are interested, just let us know. We will have copies of that book available to our Lit Chat group. The library system buys a lot of those books. So yeah, there's yes. usually always a copy available somewhere. It's been another pleasant talk with you, Bonnie. And PJ, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Until we meet again, bye Lit Chat listeners. Bye.